This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Welcome to the Sour of the Program. It's Afternoons on News Talk 770. Rob Breckenridge with you. Again, our telephone number 403-974-TALK, 974-8255. You can text us at 770-770. A lot more still to come today, but I do want to spend some more time talking about the verdict today. Two guilty verdicts on second-degree murder for Travis Vader today, convicted of killing Lyle and Marie McCann of St. Albert. Uh, As mentioned, it's been a very long path to these verdicts today, and it's been a very controversial trial. Because, in fact, there was a first trial in this case, which ended in a mistrial after it was found that the Crown botched its disclosure obligations. There was an abusive process hearing that almost derailed this again. And it was earlier this year, back in January, that a judge ruled that a new trial would go ahead. The charge against Vader was stayed for some time, or the charges were stayed against him for some time. So there's a lot to this case. And, of course, there is now the concern today that it's far from over. Uh, That maybe there's an obvious avenue of appeal open to the defense here and uh, that this is going to continue. Uh, And, of course, we have the rather historic fact that there was a camera present in the courtroom today to record and, and frankly, to broadcast, to live stream the judge himself as he read this landmark verdict. So a lot to go through uh, as we welcome to the program uh, here this afternoon, Stephen Penny, who's a professor of criminal law at the University of Alberta. Uh, Professor, thanks so much for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Oh, thanks very much. Uh, Yeah, a lot to go through here. I'm curious about one aspect of this case uh, and, and how much leeway judges have, because obviously the judge found that the Crown did not prove first degree murder. So explain why... The, the accused doesn't walk, why a judge is able to come back and say, well, even though you didn't prove that, I, I still find him guilty of a somewhat lesser crime. Okay, well, uh, the first thing to understand is that first-degree murder is kind of a heightened form of murder. It's an, an exceptional form of murder, and there are different ways that one can be convicted of first-degree murder. And so, you know, the key finding in any murder trial is whether or not you're guilty of murder, just sort of plain, ordinary murder or second-degree murder, in other words. And then if there are additional kind of aggravating factors, the most common being planning and deliberation, then you can be subject to the increased penalties that are available for first-degree murder. So first-degree murder is more the exception, uh, the aggravated form of murder, and second-degree murder is the ordinary sort of default form of murder. So the reason that Judge Thomas found that first-degree murder was not proved beyond a reasonable doubt by the prosecutor was that we don't really know, we can't really say specifically what happened. He was convinced based on the evidence that Mr. Vader was involved, that he was attempting to rob the McCanns to get their stuff because he was desperate for money, and that he caused their death in some fashion. But since we don't have enough evidence to reconstruct precisely what happened at the time the McCanns were killed by Mr. Vader, you couldn't prove, the Crown couldn't prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he had sufficient time to actually plan and think about killing them in the way that we require in order to be convicted of that form of first-degree murder. Right. 
Well, and, and I, I need you to help us understand what, what may be uh, an error made by the judge today, because sure. then we're getting into the realm of what's known as culpable homicide, which is, I guess, a step up from, from manslaughter. Uh, but we get a section of the criminal code that was the subject of a pretty landmark Supreme Court case about a quarter of a century ago. So explain why this is problematic for this verdict. Okay, well, the first thing I'll mention is that I have not yet seen the full decision, but I have seen the relevant paragraphs where the judge makes his findings on second-degree murder. And I heard him deliver it, uh, of course, online as it was being broadcast. And it, it appears to be the case that he relied exclusively on a provision of the Criminal Code, Section 230, which was considered uh, for being unconstitutional back in 1990, so as you said, over a quarter century ago. And in that case, the Supreme Court of Canada found very definitively and very clearly that this provision was null and void. It violated Section 7 of the Charter because it did not, let me, let me start again, it allowed for a conviction for murder even if the Crown is not able to prove that you intended to cause death or were even aware of a possibility that death would result. So the way that Section 230 works Unfortunately, it's still in the criminal code, even though it was declared to be of no force or effect by the Supreme Court of Canada so long ago. The way that it works is that all the Crown has to prove is that you were in the midst of committing a robbery and that pe people were killed and that you intended to cause them some level of bodily harm. But it doesn't require the prosecution to show that you intended to cause their death or were even aware of a chance that death would result. And in the absence of that factual finding, that of subjective intention to cause death or awareness of the possibility of death, then the con this conviction simply cannot stand. Well, you know, and it, it's, it's surprising, although I suppose uh, we, we've had other cases come up recently that, that indicate maybe judges don't have uh, a level of knowledge of the law in some cases that they should. But here we have a judge overseeing a murder case, uh, a pretty important murder case, and it's a pretty important Supreme Court ruling that establishes some precedents here. Why would he not be aware of this? It's inexplicable. It, it really defies explanation. Uh, I, I struggle to, to imagine that something like this could have happened, that the judge would not have been aware of this, that the, you know, the staff or, or law clerks who were assisting him, presumably, or at least he would have had the opportunity to have some assistance with this, that no one would have picked up on this. And uh, you know, what can I say other than it's, it's shocking? It certainly seems that way. Now, what might it mean? Because it doesn't seem as though this is the kind of technicality that, that Travis Vader is going to, to walk on, but uh, it, it may reduce the, the seriousness of the, the crime he's ultimately convicted of. Yes, I think, you know, it's, it's difficult to speculate precisely what's going to happen. Um, but uh, at a minimum, this would be a, a ground of appeal. Uh, should the defense launch an appeal, it appears the defense uh, will will appeal, and that the court of appeal will have no choice but to to, to say that you can't base the conviction uh, unless you can't base the conviction on this provision, and unless there's some way of you know finding um, evidence in the record, findings of the judge to support you know the, the a finding that he intended to cause their death or was aware that death was possible. Then, then this conviction will have to be overturned. And whether or not uh, we then see a, a manslaughter conviction uh, or a new trial, 
um, remains to be seen. Well, that's a big question. Now, it's interesting because we were told that the ruling was going to be posted quickly. We haven't seen it yet, but this isn't the kind of thing where the judge can just go back and say, oops, I made a mistake. I just got to revise my ruling a little bit. Uh, I don't believe that would be possible. I, I am not absolutely sure what the, the, the remedies might be at this stage, but uh, you know, I think that you know, once a conviction is entered, uh, and I have seen the, the relevant portions of the written decision, the official written decision, and they absolutely rely on Section 230. Uh, so, you know, I don't know that there's anything that can be done at this stage, but, uh, you know, I can't say for certain. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we heard him say it as, as we listened in live on him reading this this verdict. He, he specifically mentioned Section 230. And, yeah, as you say, some of those um, who had access to the ruling already have, have posted those relevant portions. So it's, yes. it's definitely there. Yes. Um. Yeah, so so this would be, and, and we even heard, I mean, uh, Brian Baresh in his comments, the defense attorney specifically mentioned errors in the verdict, although he didn't explain that in great detail. I, I would imagine he's talking about this. So uh, this would be a pretty obvious avenue for appeal. Yes, absolutely. Uh, in terms of the fact that we got to this point, though, that the, the trial was put back on track, that they were able to get a guilty verdict. When you look at the fact that um, there was a mistrial, charges were stayed, there was an abusive process. No, no, just sorry to back up just for a second. I don't know that there was a mistrial declared in this case, in the the murder case against um, uh, Mr. Vader. I believe that um, there there were long delays in getting this to trial, but the stay, the initial stay was entered by the prosecution. So there was no mistrial. This is the first trial that he's had on the murder charges. Okay. Oh, all right. Okay. Well, uh, no, I'm reading that wrong. It was it was a mistrial on uh, a separate. It was there was drug trafficking, right. theft, weapons charges. Exactly. It was a mistrial there. Yeah. Uh, the charge of the the murder charges were the charges that were stayed. Yes, that's that right. My, my, yeah. That was my bad. So, um, but given all of that, given that the charges were stayed, that there was concern about um, how the the Crown and the RCMP had handled this. There was the uh, the abuse of process hearing, and this this case did seem plagued with problems. Yeah, there's no question about it. Um, it's been, uh, you know, a terrible roller coaster. I can only imagine for, you know, the McCann family and others invested in this case. It's it's been highly unfortunate that it appears that there was, there were massive mistakes being made almost from the very beginning, and now we have the culmination where we see uh, another like out of the blue error that uh, seems to have derailed the entire process. It is quite shocking. Um... On the point about the the camera being there, I mean, it would be somewhat ironic, I suppose, that that the first camera allowed in an Alberta courtroom happens to capture what might be a major uh, judicial error. But just the fact that history was made today, what what did you make of it? Well, I think it's a positive development for the law. I mean, I I commend uh, Justice Thomas for that that ruling. Uh, I don't see any reason why. Uh, this kind of thing shouldn't be broadcast. I mean, there are concerns, legitimate concerns, I think, for broadcasting trials. I mean, there are pros and cons on that, but there, you know, there are at least some arguments to be made that it might, uh, it might present difficulties for witnesses and, and all of those kinds of things. But in terms of a ruling being read uh, or summarized by a judge, you know, assuming there's sufficient public interest, I, I see no reason why that shouldn't be permitted. So I think that was a positive, even though it uh, was unfortunate that this error occurred in the midst of it, the the general idea that this kind of thing could be broadcast and streamed online, I think is a positive development for access to justice and for public understanding of the workings of the criminal justice system. Right. It was interesting that, I mean, the, the defense supported this motion, as did the McCann family. It was the, only the Crown prosecutor that, that opposed this. Uh, but the, the argument made about that 
specific decision to allow the camera here opening the floodgates. What, what do you make of that argument? Uh, you know, floodgates arguments can be persuasive in some cases, but only if, if it's difficult to draw lines, um, and I don't think that's the case here. So if the courts are inclined to to keep the lid on courts, you know, off courts in the, or sorry, cameras in the courtroom for actual trials, then they can very easily continue to do that and distinguish this example by saying that there was, you know, a tremendous amount of public interest, and it's simply a matter of reading or summarizing the ruling by the judge and having that captured live. So, you know, I, I don't see the floodgates arguments being particularly compelling in this case. Should we reverse the onus? Should the presumption be that, that we have this access and that the arguments need to be made as to why cameras shouldn't be present? Well, to some extent, in terms of the, you know, the, the guiding legal principles, the onus is already on the state and the government to justify any restrictions on public access to the courtrooms. Now, having said that, we have such a long tradition uh, in Canadian courtrooms of, of not permitting access that you know, I'm not sure how much that presumption really makes a difference in terms of the way that the courts make these decisions. But, you know, I, I do think that there's a slow trend in, in the direction of allowing greater access. You know, we've had Supreme Court of Canada hearings being uh, televised and broadcast for, for many, many years now. Um, it's possible that uh, other appellate courts will, will go down that road. And uh, where you have sort of um, relatively straightforward legal proceedings at the trial level where you don't have witnesses involved, where it's legal argument or the reading of decisions, then I think it would be good to see more and more access so the public has a better sense of how the process works. It's not always particularly entertaining. It could be very technical and dry, but to the extent the public is interested, uh, you know, they should be able to see it. I mean, the reality is that unless we have uh, you know, a publication ban or a barring of public, members of the public for courtrooms. You know, anyone can show up at, at the court and participate, not participate, but observe right. a criminal yeah. trial. And this is just a way of enabling that, of course, on a, a much more efficient and broader scale. Well, and on top of that, and we've, we've established the, the precedent in Alberta where members of the media, I don't know that it applies to, to everybody necessarily, but members of the media are allowed to use social media like Twitter to essentially in real time describe what's what's happening yes yes that's that's absolutely right and i think that's one more sort of technological and social change that's occurred that that points in the direction of of greater access to the courts and greater public engagement with the justice system well so that was a positive development today but uh Stephen, as you say some some concerning aspects of this ruling we'll see how it all unfolds uh, going forward but appreciate you make some time for us here thanks for the insight no trouble you're very welcome all right take care Stephen penny professor of criminal law at the university of alberta uh, and so he's not alone in saying that, holy cow, I can't believe the judge actually said that. That the judge actually relied on this section of the criminal code that was found to be, by the Supreme Court of Canada, unconstitutional. It's part of the problem of the criminal code because it uh, falls to the politicians to, to actually erase it from the criminal code. Right. We, we had the conversation recently, for example, about the blasphemy law that still exists in the criminal code. You can go in and you can find that, that wording still there uh, regarding blasphemous libel in the criminal code. Now, uh, any legal analyst you ask would say, look, that would never stand up in a court of law. That would uh, fall to a charter challenge pretty quickly. But it's still there because 
the politicians haven't gotten around to saying, okay, we need to strike that from the criminal code. That's who it falls to. That's less of an issue because there aren't a lot of Crown prosecutors out there looking to pursue cases of blasphemy. When it comes to cases like this, where you've got difficult to prove murders, and then you're getting into the realm of culpable homicide, that becomes a problem. And my understanding is from what I've been reading today, this is not the first time that a judge has made this error. But on a high-profile case like this, a case that just happened to be the first ever in Alberta where the judge was televised reading his verdict, it makes the error that much more glaring. So it doesn't seem to be the kind of thing where, oops, somebody screwed up and a convicted murderer is going to walk free. But it may well be, and perhaps it's a likely scenario at this point, that these uh, second-degree murder convictions are going to be uh, chopped down to manslaughter. That may still mean 10, 15, maybe even 20 years in prison. But manslaughter is not murder. And if indeed it becomes manslaughter, Travis Vader's going to spend a lot less time in prison than he would on a murder charge. And if it happens because uh, a judge screwed up, or for that matter, maybe the Crown screwed up, uh, that's not going to go over well. So it'll be interesting to see what comes of this. And uh, I think that the defense is well aware of what happened here. And it's true that in, in cases like this, uh, the defense is going to try to find anything uh, to try to form the basis of appeal. But this this is served up on a platter for them. Uh, so it is quite remarkable. 974-8255 is our telephone number. You can text us at 77770. A quick break here. Back with some more thoughts on this case and everything that's happened today right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.